That was a clip bringing you a broadcast from Radio Freedom, the voice of Oliver Tambo there. It, 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 it really brings me chills to just be able to listen to that. I want to start the conversation with uh, Krivani Pele, who's the Partnerships and Development Finance Officer at the United Nations, also a former radio anchor here in SAFM. Krivani, the United Nations has an important and sole mandate, effectively, of mobilizing peace and spreading it across the world. And when there are disruptions to peace, it is the United Nations that ask the questions, how do we bring about peace? And that's the ethos of the organization. Radio and peace go hand in hand. Uh, how does the United Nations imagine the impact of radio to continue galvanizing uh, actors of peace and fostering a culture of peace? Good morning, Oliver, and uh, good morning to the listeners. Uh, thank you for the, for the opportunity. It's great to be back on, if I can call, SAFM, my own stomping ground. Um, uh, radio and peace is an absolute connection. I, uh, you know, uh, radio as, a, as a, a technology really gives people access to increasing amounts of information um, and and. Uh, you know, at first it was looked upon as companionship, there's some kind of connection, but then there's been, it's evolved into this medium that is just absolutely undeniable in, in providing updates to people, in connecting people to people, in connecting information to people, uh, in, in uh, crossing borders um, to make valuable sources of information accessible. Um, you would know, you know, traditional media. You would have to wait for for uh, publications to be printed before the information is disseminated far and wide. Not everybody could afford uh, television boxes. Uh, today, not everybody can afford a smartphone, even though it is the uh, technology of choice to access audio and video. So, even with the evolution of technology, radio is an important, uh, is, is really important for the reception of messages. And when it comes to peace, for emergency announcements, for communications during um, uh, disasters, for regularly communicating messages, for updated messages, uh, for those of you who are aware of, of broadcast production, you know, there's a whole lot of work to be done before a TV insert can get on uh, to a platform. But with radio, it's so instant, it's so instantaneous that um, it, 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 it can take a, a breaking story and blast it from, from the city to the uh, peri-urban to far-flung far rural areas across borders. So that power is definitely there and of the obvious connection to peace and peace messaging and conversations and dialogue about social cohesion is undeniable. That really, really is true. But uh, are we taking conceptually serious the idea of peace and asking the question, what does it look like? I think many of us have lived our lives entirely not having witnessed peace that to the extent that we don't quite know what it is. Are we taking that conversation serious and embedding that into the fiber of our broadcasting practices and our broadcasting philosophies? A good question, Oliver. If I could just link it back to the work that uh, my organization is doing. I mean, you know at the heart of the work that we do is the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And, and, and goal number 16 is about 
promoting uh, peace, uh, peaceful and inclusive society for sustainable development. And, and it's about providing access to justice for all, uh, an opportunity to build effective, accountable, inclusive institutions at all levels. This really is goal 16. And, 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 and something like radio um, can help us spread that message across. You know, uh, uh, I, I heard Ambassador Walile Mklapo over the weekend um, who talked about even in load shedding, he still has his old battery-operated radio, so he didn't miss a beat. Um, and he was still able to, to get his messaging, listen to his favorite programs, uh, while his neighbors didn't have uh, electricity. Now, we have to continue the conversation. They say that technology has evolved, uh, that we now have 140 characters in which to put succinct messaging. Religion doesn't change that. The conversation doesn't change that. Social cohesion dialogues where we listen to one another doesn't change that. You know, the ear is just the organ to which we receive the messages. But it's in the listening and it's being open to all of the messaging and the plurality of views that are out there that then starts to design and evolve this conversation of what peace really is, what it means to us, what it means to our communities and our societies, and to really have some difficult conversations. Because you will know, even in the, in the clip that you played earlier, I mean, I, I've heard that clip before, but when I hear it again, I mean, I still get goosebumps because of, the, of, of that message going out to mobilize people, to mobilize thoughts, to mobilize discussion, to mobilize action. And that is still relevant today. So we have to be able to talk and to be able to share messages, but we must be able to listen to one another. And for me, the listening is the key part in connecting the message to the, achieve the issue of, of, of a peaceful society. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I know we have to let you go here, but I really, really do appreciate your insights and continue to do the work that you do. It's really impactful and important work. Thank you so much for the time and all the best to your panelists. Thank you very much, Kravana Pillay, Partnerships and Development Finance Officer at the United Nations. Tanya, I want to bring you in here. Do people still trust radio? <laughs> Um, I, I think that that goes hand in hand with whether people still trust news media in general. Right. Um, and I think that it's 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 a it's a balance that we're trying to find. I don't think you can say, you know, we can generalize too much and say no, absolutely, people don't trust radio. But I think that it is at risk. It, it is something that um, that is going along the same trends as we see people mistrusting other forms of, of, of media. But I do think that radio has a, has a particular opportunity where they can build trust with audiences far better than, than other platforms. It, is radio still as impactful as other alternative forms of media? It was with 140 characters that the government of Mosni Mubarak was overthrown. Uh, it is there on Twitter where the Arab Spring uh, young people in the areas being uh, galvanized, organized, right? It is uh, through those unbroadcasted platforms, really, where information organizing and misinformation mm. dwells into. Radio is divorced in many ways from, from the future of, of, of information dissemination in many ways. 
can it still bridge that gap? I think it absolutely can. I think that it's just just because we are f we are seeing new forms of communication platforms um, um, coming coming about. I think that that's you know it's it's been fantastic to see how social media has become a tool for for engagement and and for community building and communication. But I think that it's it's very contextualized. I think that. Um, you know, we we know that in South Africa and in um, in, in many countries, uh, you know, social media access is for a specific elite. Yeah. Um, it's for those who have access to smartphones. It's for those who have access to data, and we're still grappling with those challenges in South Africa. And so, I, I don't think that the impact of radio has been diminished by by any means. I think, if anything, the way that radio has been able to adapt to a changing environment, the way that radio has been adapt, being able to adapt into, um, you know, uh, packaging content and and still engaging audiences. I mean, you, you came up with figures in the beginning, I, th I think it, it is, in the mid 20 something million listeners a day, that's not losing impact. Yeah. You can be a part of this conversation. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. We're taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking. By the way, Nontokozonyati uh, from our marketing department made sure that you're able to live stream this as well. So if you go onto any of the SAFM uh, social media platforms, that's Twitter, Facebook, as well as YouTube, you can watch this. Uh, I've got very beautiful guests here, and uh, you can see their faces, one of which is Tami Nteten. Tata... Uh, Let's go back to Radio Freedom. Where did it all start? Whose idea was it? Uh, <coughs> good morning, good morning, Oliver. Good morning to the panelists and uh, good morning to the listeners of uh, SAFM. It, you know that is a very interesting question because I Can think. Can I just ask the children mic slightly closer to your mouth? There we go. Thank you. That's an interesting question because I think uh, most people ordinarily do not know the genesis of Radio Freedom. Mm. And uh, I think for us to be able to understand how this medium got to be used by the ANC, we must look at a particular time and context within which events took place at that particular time. I will not go into a long, lengthy treatise on the history, but uh, if you say in 1955, the ANC holds a congress of the people in Cliptown, in which the Freedom Charter is adopted. And one of the clauses of the Freedom Charter says, uh, in its preamble, in its preamble, it says that uh, no government can justly claim authority unless it is based on the will of the people. Now, at that point in time, the majority of the people of South Africa are excluded from participation in government and in deciding their own fate as South Africans. Now, soon thereafter, you then have the Sharpville massacre in 1960 on the 21st of March. And after that, 
in April 1960, the African National Congress and all other uh, political organizations, the PAC Communist Party, are banned by the South African government. Now, this then says a movement or organizations that could mobilize legally and call rallies and convey their messages through political platforms were now deprived of that opportunity. Yeah. Now, very interestingly, it is at that time that the ANC leadership, in fact, yes, the ANC uses radio. On the 26th of June, 1963, Walter Sisulu made the first broadcast in South Africa after the arrest of Rivo in Rivonia. Walter Sisulu made the broadcast and used the ANC used radio for the first time in a message in which he said, the leaders of the ANC have been arrested. The people of South Africa need leadership more than at any other time, and our house is on fire. So that was the first time that the ANC used radio as a medium of communication. Where was this? Well, uh, he says you must understand that uh, radio can be traced through coordinates, yes. you see. So in that, in that message, when he delivers that message, he doesn't say where he is. He says, I'm broadcasting to you from somewhere in South Africa. I have not left the country, and I do not intend to leave the country. That's the message. So he doesn't say where he is, because it would take a very short space of time using coordinates for, this, for the apartheid government to have determined where he was at the time. So I'm not sure, I'm, I don't know, and I don't know other people whether they actually know <laughs> where that broadcast was made yeah. from. So ANC leaders go into exile, set up the ANC headquarters uh, in Tanzania. And Julius Nyerere says to the ANC leadership there, I will give you a platform and I'll give you the resources to broadcast to your people back home. What, how important was that moment? You see, um, again, a very, very important uh, historical question. Because once the organization is banned, once the organization can no longer operate legally and it is driven underground and it actually establishes itself in exile, how then does it continue to convey messages to the people of South Africa and say the ANC leaves, the ANC is organizing itself, but only through the medium of radio. Yeah. And so it became very, very important that the ANC, one of the very first things that the ANC did 
when it was reorganizing itself in exile was precisely this thing that we are talking about, getting radio broadcast facilities from Tanzania in 1969 to be able to broadcast to the people of South Africa and convey messages which would then reinforce because by banning the organization it means the apartheid government at the time was severing the link and the contact between the people of South Africa and the ANC, their liberation movement. And so that then, the fact that the ANC had used radio through Walter Sisulu and also the first thing it did was to get broadcasting facilities in Tanzania, it then re-established that contact and that link yeah. with the people of South Africa and used radio and the power of radio as a social and political mobilization tool. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. It's half past 10. Let's take your headlines. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. And we're celebrating World Radio Day with a special broadcast from our ground floor here at the SABC Radio Park building in Auckland Park. I'm joined by Tamin Tenteni, who is a former SABC executive as well as one of the directors of Radio Freedom. Tandy Smith, heads of program, head of programs at Media Monitoring Africa, as well as Sheila Ndikumana, who is a broadcaster. Uh, Sheila, what did you grow up listening to? Strangely enough, I grew up listening to a lot of Impact Radio. So my mom was a big fan of the Christian music that aired there. And I think in my teen years, I had exposure to a lot of 5FM. Yeah. And so I think at the time it was known as Highfelt, if I'm not mistaken. 947 now. 947, Highfelt, yes, yes, yes. So I think what was really interesting about my experience with radio is that I, I never really listened to radio. It was more of a timekeeper for me. And so I knew that if a certain show came on, mom is going to be home. A uh, certain show came on, uh, we needed to be done with X or Y. And so it sort of fitted well into scheduling my day yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, do you imagine yourself on radio? No, far from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to be an engineer. Um, and I pursued engineering for, uh, for quite some time. Yeah. I think mentally, because even my mom took me to a technical school. And so the idea was for me to find my footing in whatever engineering it was I felt I would be best at. And chemical engineering was the choice. You and I were in school together. We, we were in the same chemical engineering. Uh, I think we'd, we'd be shared processes and yes. a couple of other modules together. Yes. And we shared late night studying together with groups of friends. And at no point do you say, hey, I want to be a broadcaster. Neither do I say that. It's sort of not really the dream. We want to become these engineers. Yeah. And we both end up here. Yeah. Uh, at the SABC Broadcasting. Um, at what point did you decide, I want a platform, I want a voice, I want to be able to speak to people? Sheesh. So, I didn't choose radio. Um, I think I was desperate for change along my studies. There was, there was this sense of, you need to, it's not enough to just create systems that help people. Right? And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. She's like, oh, you have a lovely voice. I'm like, well. So we went and we tried out for Vow FM. That was the radio station that was adjacent to my studying at the time. And I didn't get accepted. Neither did I. They Which hurts. Me. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, I then went on to study journalism. So I switched degrees um, and studied radio and journalism with the uh, Vets Academy. And I think it was in that moment that I was trying to find what do I want this voice for? What, what, is the, what is the end game with speaking on radio? I mean, it's one thing to broadcast. It's another to walk with an incentive. And that for me was very important for me to find my purpose. And I think it was during that period of studying journalism that I was able to discover what it was I wanted to do on radio. Yeah. You, on radio, you document culture. Yes. You speak to culture and you are with, move along with the culture, not just in South Africa, but the continent over. Channel Africa, of course, uh, broadcasting across the continent. Um, listening to your shows both on SFM and, and, and as well as, as Channel Africa, you hear music and stories from across the continent. How important is, is culture and broadcasting that and displaying that and, and, and documenting that uh, in, in, in radio, but more importantly, in preserving peace and bringing about peace? So I think peace is a state of being. It doesn't mean that problems are solved. It doesn't mean that we have met our solution, but it's an ushering in of acceptance and being able, I think our first speaker said it, being able to listen to the next person. And so the beautiful thing about tradition, if, if I would put it like that, is that when you give people an opportunity to express themselves, they're more willing to come to you. And I think the one thing that I've learned about broadcasting is that you don't have all the answers. Yeah. And so what you do is you sit down and you say, hey, let's talk. I'll give you the platform to share your story with me. I'll give you the platform to, to let me know what life in Tanzania is like, what life in Kenya is like, what life in Chad is like. Because the reality is we as broadcasters only gather facts. But the real heart of the story is with the people. And so giving them a space to speak is the most important thing that I've learned. Um, I think apart from that, just establishing an importance whereas as a broadcaster, you stand on the ground and say that I'm not the problem solver. Yeah. I'm here to listen to you. And that's when you, uh, you somewhat usher in a culture of peace where someone feels heard, they feel seen and acknowledged. And I think that is what creates and sustains an attitude of peace. Um, how often do you think about it? How often do you think about instability and turmoil and, and, and rancor and, and uh, just, you know, politics not adding up? I ask this because you're a Burundian. You hold stories and a different level of appreciated for the genocide uh, than most South Africans do at a level that we, 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 we never really engage. Are those conversations that you listen to, conversations that you think about, is that a history that uh, matters to you at all when you broadcast? I think it is. It's a, it's a history that has allowed me to respect the next person's plight. So I grew up in South Africa, and as much as I am from Burundi, um, I had a lot of South African experiences, but I don't walk as a South African, is the truth. Yeah. I still stand in South Africa as a Burundian, and I think being able to, to firstly accept the politics of my country was a problem. Because at first I wanted to dissociate because I was part of the minority group that was, to an extent, I think during 1994, they were the ones being massacred. They're the ones who were being affected in terms of killings and deaths, yeah. so forth and so on. And so I really didn't want to associate with that history. I wanted a fresh start, as people call it. Um, but getting to a place where I needed to understand that every story matters, mine needed to matter for me. And I think that's what's developed an appreciation for the next person's story. I don't, I cannot fully resonate with apartheid 
but I can re uh, resonate with what I've been through. And so when the next person shares their story, the fact that I resonate with mine gives me grace to understand them. And I think that in its entirety has allowed me to, to broadcast from a place where you first listen, then you speak. Yeah. Yeah. Tandi, the, the viability of media is, is under threat. More and more of us have to do with less and less because fewer and fewer uh, organizations are spending money in sustaining media and advertising and sponsorships and grants and whatever the case may be. Um, and it's not just radio that suffers from this, right? It's all traditional media suffers from this due to the advent of digital media. That poses a threat to the profitability and viability of, 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 of broadcasting platforms. Uh, how big of a threat is it, and how can we how can we start reimagining radio traditional media as as an important tool and and invest into it? And how do we safeguard it from the collapse of financial ruin? I think that this is a a, a topic of conversation that often comes up in in these um, in these fora and in these discussions, um, and and it's it's one that is terrifying because you you begin to to look at the demise or the um, you know crumbling down of your mainstream media your news media and you are going to lose a pillar of democracy you're going to lose a tool that is used to build a functional democracy without our um, without our news media without our credible and independent news media you are not. You, you simply will not have a, a functioning state, um, and that's if you are a, 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 an advocate for for a democratic nation. And I think that where radio has been, um, where there've been advantages to radio is, as I mentioned earlier, it has been one of the platforms that has managed to adapt, and and you know find ways of remaining relevant, finding ways of of still engaging with um, with audiences. I mean, just just as we speak, you are. I, I know we're busy live streaming video on social media platforms. Yeah. Um, you know, a decade or two ago, that would not have been possible. And it's it's about adapting to what audience needs, and it's about what um, convincing audience what is what is needed as well. And I think it's 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 that sort of balance that we we need to find. Um, but I think it, it sort of goes a step further and people th thrive off credible content that matters to them. And I think we've seen this in the last few years going through the COVID pandemic. People turn to news media, people turn to credible media for information about the pandemic, for information about what was happening yeah. with regulations. We we saw the, the addressing of the nation. We saw the... the you know, President's Address being broadcast on TV and radio and people without access were still able to get those messages through radio platforms. And I think we forget that power. We forget what what power and influence radio has. And so, yes, the industry is facing um, really, really challenging times. And it's, it's also why an institution like the SABC, like a public broadcaster, is even more critical. Um, but we have to be creative in finding ways to, to sustain the industry, and we cannot afford to, to lose it. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Let's go to the lines. Uh, Mamvuyiswa in Parktown, good morning. Uh, good morning, Oliver. Thank you for taking my call and your guest there. 
I'd like to celebrate Radio International Day today because for me, as a child in Soero, that's what actually kept us, uh, you know, up with uh, my family with, with what was happening, uh, especially listening to Radio Freedom. And uh, ultimately, I got into that and I was going to ask you, who commanded time? Why? Because it was Oliver Tambo's vision. Uh, to, to, to get radio freedom uh, uh, continue when into the back home. And uh, I also need to thank you because uh, my former employer, BBC World Service, has done it, is, is doing a great job, you know, broadcasting all over. And uh, Radio Moscow also, that used to, to broadcast in all languages, so whatever language you wanted, it's uh, South America, Africa, Southern, West Africa, you could hear everything in, in Radio Moscow. So my, my question, I repeat myself to Utam, is that why didn't they continue it? Because Utam, that was his vision for NC to run its own media. What happened? Very, very good question. Thank you so much for your call, Mamvuyus. I really, really okay. do appreciate it. Let's go to Thomas. Thomas is calling us from Newcastle. Thomas, good morning. Hey, Oliver. How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well. Go ahead, sir. I'm good. You, you know, Oliver, one of the biggest problems that I think we, we still need to grapple with is, I don't know if the world or typically in my business in South Africa, is the fact that radio must have a responsibility also. I think we quickly, unfortunately, losing the responsibility element of using the ways and using the radio. Your guest just now talked about the whole Burundi Rwanda situation where media played a big role. You know, sometimes in South Africa, uh, that is enabling uh, the problems that we have to grow and thrive because we are not paying attention to the fact that we are losing credibility. I mean, uh, I, when I woke up, for instance, about the whole uh, Kenyan story, it was initially a drive-by that killed him. So I was thinking someone was driving by and then, and then ultimately you find out that it was a hit, the person was next to him and all that. So it's important for media to make sure that there is accuracy, there is truthfulness, and everything before we go onto the wave, because the influence is massive. I mean, we, we experienced that for instance when uh, our beloved Claudia was responsible. You know how the country was in disarray. And I'm, I'm not casting an aspersion on him. It is a known and a first thing where the SAPC was considered by a lot of liberals, quote unquote, to be a tool for the government, for instance. So those are responsibilities. I feel that with all the freedoms and celebrations we have, we still must go back and work on to where it is impeccable, if I can use that word. Thank you, Oliver. What, what happened to Oliver Tambo's dream, uh, Mamvu Yusa asks? You see... Uh, <coughs> Uh, if one has to answer that question within the context of the struggle for liberation in South Africa, Radio Freedom came into existence because a liberation movement which did not have access to state resources needed to communicate 
a message and mobilize people towards the achievement of a particular objective. Now, when that movement achieves its objective and it then has access to state resources and the public service broadcaster is part of that resource to keep the people informed, then to some extent, to some extent, the need for a radio freedom type of broadcaster is then uh, obviated yeah. by the public service broadcaster. So the thing is, how does the public broadcaster itself see its role in the context of society. If you take the SAPC, for example... Did the SAPC answer that question to itself at the start of democracy? I'm coming to that, because you've raised a question, you see. You've raised a question, a question of the funding of broadcasting. Yes. And you are saying that uh, there is a problem here. But should that be the question that the public service broadcaster raises or subjects itself to? Profit incentives. No, that is not, in my view, that is not the role of the public service broadcaster. And uh, this is a matter, even at the time when I was still here in the SABC, that was debated over time. There, there are very few, if any, pro public service broadcasters in the world that depend for their budget, 95% of their budget on advertising. Public service broadcaster is not a commercial broadcaster and it cannot be in competition with commercial service broadcasters for advertising revenue. If my memory serves me well, in India, it is shared 50-50. Public service broadcasting is funded 50% by uh, public funds and 50% through commercial advertising. Yeah. In most instances, public service broadcasting is not supposed, like I'm saying, to compete. Therefore, and in actual fact, the ANC in government has actually on numerous occasions passed resolutions to the effect that the public service broadcaster must be independent because the act, the Broadcasting Act says the public broadcaster must be autonomous and independent from either state or commercial influence. Now, if you, have the, if you have an SAPC public service broadcaster that depends for 95% or 97% of its budget, how can we be sure that the commercial interests in the country do not influence the manner in which the SAPC conducts its work? But there is a reason, if I may say that, you see. It is the manner in which the SAPC was used by the apartheid regime because at 
the time, the SAPC was not a public service broadcaster. It was a state, state broadcaster, right? And so the ANC, when it came into power, it wanted to distance itself from the SAPC because of the perception that if it continued or the SAPC was funded by the state, it would then be perceived as a state broadcaster, which in my opinion was incorrect. Has it, has it created enough distance? Yes, I think it did. I think it did. But it then gave pro rise to the problem that you are raising now, okay, of how do you fund public service broadcasting? Because public service, the SAPC, as a broadcast institution, is guided by the act. It is the act, the broadcasting act that says, SAPC, this is what you have to do. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. You see? Absolutely. Uh, let's go back to the lines. Ronnie out in Durban. Good morning. Good morning, Oliver, and to your guests. I think... Yes, um, go ahead, Ronnie. Uh, Oliver, Oliver, you know... Um, we talk about uh, freedom, radio freedom, and we don't mention the institution, which I call the institution, many others, of capital radio. And your guest will uh, testify of capital radio when we used to listen to capital radio. And I, earlier on, you mentioned David O'Sullivan, where Tabon Becky, um, Paolo Jordan used to come on capital radio. And through radio freedom, we used to pick it up. So, capital radio should be in the hands of history. They have, they have revolutionized the hairway. The likes of the late Kevin Savage, Jeremy Mansfield, even David, uh, yeah, well, David O'Sullivan is still around. They brought in talk radio to, to this country. They brought in music that was banned. They played it. They were raided many times while on air. The security branch used to raid them either in in the um, Port St. John studio. So I just want your, your guest from uh, uh, Freedom Radio to just touch on that and you know, verify what I'm saying. Was it true or not? Thank you, Oliver. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Shayla, as broadcasters, uh, we, we, we are often forced into this corner, which I like to call, and uh, quite controversially show, the fallacy of both sides of the story. Okay. That uh, every story has two sides, and you listen to, you have to listen to both sides. And if you give somebody an opportunity to tell their story, yet you have to go find somebody that disagrees with that story, and, and they must tell the opposite story, and people must evaluate. But not every story has two sides. When you think about people and their stories and how to treat it, how to give it uh, a sense of humanity and credibility, uh, how do you go about doing that? I think what's interesting is different styles of radio require different kinds of listenership. So if you think about the political space, you will heavily find that, where you kind of want to bring in both sides or whatever sides they are to the story. Uh, whereas with more cultural and traditional storylines, such as that that I broadcast, it's you find yourself having to get to this place where you validate the facts in the story and that is what you're going to run with it, it doesn't make sense for all seven speakers to come on board and speak when they're all contradicting each other yeah and i think 
you as a facilitator of the storyline have to make sure that you gauge the facts. I think there was a, um, a caller who made mention of the facts, the, the necessity for accuracy when it comes to storytelling, the necessity for fact and, and making sure that fact is what we broadcast yeah. is important. But I think above and beyond that, it depends on what type of broadcast you're putting out there. I mean, if, if I'm giving you music, two sides of the story don't really speak to yeah. anything. But if I'm broadcasting on politics or sports, then right. we need the facts. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, Shailen Dukumana, broadcaster here at SAFM as well as on uh, Channel Africa. Tandy Smith, head of programs uh, at Media Monitoring Africa. Really, really do appreciate it.